back into the book of Philippians uh, this morning. And if you turn over to chapter 2, uh, find ourselves there at, at verse 17. In this particular portion of, of Philippians, uh, verse 17 runs basically down through, through the end there uh, of the chapter through verse 30. And uh, we're not going to get all through all that today. But really, it's, it's, it brings out three individual people. One is Paul, one is Timothy, and one is Epaphroditus. And he kind of brings these folks out for a reason. And it's Paul really wants to uh, allow us to see a model or a pattern, you might see, for servanthood and what that really means. And, and uh, these three individuals clearly, uh, truly uh, model that. And uh, there's a guy by the name of F.B. Meyer, true servant of the Lord. He's with the Lord now. But uh, someone asked him one time, uh, if you could sum up your ministry in just one sentence, well, how would you do it? And here's what he said. I have only one ambition, to be God's errand boy. And I thought, you know what? That's good. Just to be God's errand boy. Just to do what God wants us to do. Nothing less, nothing more. And uh, if we could have that one ambition in life, just to do what God wants us to do, to give up all else in life so that we could serve Him the way He wants us to serve Him. And you know, I think that when you kind of grasp that attitude and you begin to apply it to your life, the idea that, you know what, God, I, I just want to do what you want me to do. I don't care what people think. I don't care what everybody else is doing. It's very easy today in Christianity to look around and say, oh, look, well, especially in ministry. You look around and every church is doing something different. And they're coming up with something new every other week almost. I mean, you know, they got a new gimmick. they got something new that's going to grow the church to 10,000 or whatever. Uh, you know, Jesus said very clearly that he would grow his church, that he would care for his church. That he would build up his church. Those are the words he used. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not come against it. And so my attitude toward ministry is, you know what? I just want to get out of Jesus' way. <laughs> you know, let him do what he's going to do. And I think that that's kind of an important attitude to have. And I think that's really what, what Paul is saying here. Um, you know, even our Lord taught in Matthew chapter 20. He said, he that would be great among you shall be what? your servant. That's what he said. And so many times in the world in which we live, we get the whole thing mixed around. We think, you know, we've got to make it to the top. So we climb the ladder over all these bodies. <laughs> and you look behind you and you're like, yeah, I made it to the top. But look at the, the devastation. And you wonder, is it worth it? There's been a lot of people who have a lot more money than all of us combined could ever even dream of having. Only to look at their life and go, what is this? It's like the, the, they climbed the ladder and it was leaning against the wrong wall. How sad. And, and Paul here is really bringing us back to some priorities. And he wants us to understand that, you know, it goes back to this biblical pattern of humility that is throughout the book of Philippians. And you remember, that's how we got to this point in, in verse 17. Uh, in this particular text, Paul's really been emphasizing the importance of humility. You remember in verse 3, what did he say of chapter 2? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And he even said, let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so once again, Paul is back into this, this kind of priority of making sure that we, we serve the Lord, but we do it in a humble fashion. Because I'm here to tell you that you can serve the Lord and you can do it in a prideful fashion. I've seen it. People think it's all about them. And it's not. It's not about anybody but Jesus Christ. And He's to be our focal point. And His Word is to be exalted and elevated among the saints. Even in verse 8 of chapter 2, he, he talks of Christ and he says, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, even to the point of death. And you remember when we went over that and how, how, what a humbling process that was. 
we followed as Christ was, was brought down in humility, down even to the point of death, even death on a cross, it says. And then we followed in the remaining verses that, you know what, because he was humiliated, because he was humbled, God then exalted him. And beloved, we have to get that in our mind, that, that sometimes God has to humble us before he can exalt us. Now, if I went around the room and said, how many of you want to be humbled? <laughs> I don't know. We'd get a big show of hands. I know my hand probably wouldn't go up real quick because who wants to be humiliated? That's really what that means. Have you ever been humiliated? Have you ever been embarrassed? You know, I'll tell you. When I, I went up Wednesday to, to uh, flew up Wednesday and then I flew back yesterday with Crystal and, and the two grandkids because I didn't want her flying on the plane just with uh, the two kids by herself. So I went up and was going to help her out. And so I got to go to, on Thursday, Mason, Tuesday and Thursday, Mason has school. So I got to take him to school. And so Crystal went and Sophia went. We all went to his little preschool and, and he was all excited. Grandpa was coming, you know, and he introduced me to his teacher and everything. And I was going to pick him up. We're going to go to McDonald's and all that. So he went in and he showed me where he sits. He has his little name there. Real cute, you know. And he's sitting down introducing me to his little friends. You know, he's only three and a half, but he's, you know, he's a little social guy. So he's introducing me to all his little friends. And then I said, okay, well, we're going to go. And I thought, okay. And Crystal's looking at me like, I don't know if he's going to cry. I don't know what's going to happen. He's been really good, but, you know, sometimes he cries when I leave. And uh, he just said, okay, okay, Grandpa, bye. You know, see you later kind of thing, you know, in his own words. And uh, so I've been, okay, we'll give Grandpa a kiss. And I, and I bent over, and just as I'm doing this, I'm thinking, gosh, I don't think I would do this. I mean, I wouldn't like this, you know, as a, as a, as a person. So I'm bending down, and he's kind of looking around, and he gives me a quick little kiss, you know. And I thought, even at that young little age, he was like, he didn't want to be embarrassed, you know. And he was fine with it. But I thought, you know, sometimes we get embarrassed. Sometimes we get even publicly humiliated at times. Well, and that can be a negative thing. But here, this is a, a positive thing, because God can use those who humble themselves, the Word of God says, before him. And Paul is really teaching us here about the importance of humility and how it, it really honors God. And, and just like Christ was humiliated, he was also exalted. And if we can get that right, that God will honor us, God will lift us up, but we can't go to him pridefully. And in verses 12 through 13, we looked at what that was, was, was all about there because he's really... Uh, he talks about how we're to, to work out our salvation. And we, we went into depth about it. it. doesn't mean work for your salvation. It means to work it out. In other words, God has planted his work in your heart. You're saved. God has put that in your heart, in your life. And now he's saying, let that overflow. Let it work its way out so it can affect others. And, and God puts it in us, and we're to really live our life according to what God has put in us. So many times as Christians, we don't live up to the potential that God has given us. You see some believers are walking around with their head down and they're just, you know, sad and always depressed and all this. And I don't understand that. I just can't conceive of that. As a believer, knowing what God has done for you. Now, do we all have problems? We all have problems. We could, we could have a big, you know, problem-sharing session here this morning if we wanted to. Who has the biggest problem? But you know what? That's not what it's about. What it's about is fixing our eyes on Christ and saying, hey, you know what? Let's, let's focus on what God has done in our life because that's really where our eyes have to be. We've all been through situations that we would never want to go through again. But you know what? It's a blessing to look back and say, you know what? But God got me through that no matter what it is. It could have been a physical thing. It could have been an emotional thing. It could have been a relational thing doesn't matter what it is. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And He'll bring you through even those things. And so what God has placed in us, Paul says, we need to work that out. And then he told us two weeks ago how to do that. In verse 14, he says, do it without what? Grumbling or disputing. In other words, don't, don't think God's working in you and you're serving the Lord and yet you're walking around, oh, you know, I just hate this. You know, I don't know why I have to do this. Why don't anybody else do this, you know? I'm always serving in the nursery. Nobody else serves in the nursery. I'm, I'm always cleaning the kitchen. I'm always doing this. I'm, if you're doing it with that attitude, I mean, to be very blunt, don't do it. Seriously. Don't do it. God will raise somebody else up. I guarantee it. You know, because, and I can say that because I've been there. I've been there where the stress level is just like maximum and things aren't, and you just feel like, you know what? I'm just going to quit. I just don't want to do it anymore. And you step away, and you know what? God raises somebody else up. You know, when it goes along just without you and you're sitting there going, oh, well, that's a humbling experience. See, God doesn't need any one of us. 
But you know what? The, the, the neat thing is, is that he's gifted all of us in a, in a myriad of ways to serve the body of Christ, to serve one another. And that's what his desire is. That's what his heart is. But he doesn't want us, you know, walking around moping and griping and complaining. That's not the attitude that we should do it with. And so, kind of to sum everything up that we've been through in verses 1 through 16, it would go like this. We're called to humbly work out our salvation, knowing that it's the power of God, the word says there, working in us in every circumstance, in every difficulty, and we're to do it without grumbling or disputing. And that's the pattern of our spiritual service. That's what he kind of laid down there for us. That's the example that he gave. And we're to work out our salvation with humility and without complaint. And now he says, you know what, now we've come to a point where I've got to give you an illustration about this. So you don't just think this is pie in the sky. And so he says, basically, I'm going to talk about three people. I'm going to talk about myself. That's what Paul's saying. He's going to talk about Paul. He's going to talk about Timothy. And he's going to talk about Epaphrodites. Because each one of these individuals live that life. They follow that pattern of service. Now, these aren't just three individuals that Paul picks out of the sky. These are people that had a relationship. There's a real, there's a real kind of a, a note of affection among these three people. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus were all together when Paul was actually writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Rome. Paul was a prisoner in Rome. Epaphroditus was sent from the Philippian church to minister to Paul's needs, as you recall. And Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, as he's referred to. And so they were all bound together here. Geographically together they were. They were spiritually together. They were on the same page. They were ministerially together. They were together in heart. And they were knit together, really, with a, a common cause. And they wanted to have a common goal. And they had this camaraderie and this affection amongst themselves that, sadly, the church doesn't share very much today. And really, each one of these individuals, as you read through these, they illustrate the same pattern over and over. The same thing. All three of them illustrate the selfless, humble, sacrificial attitude and service that we're to bring to our Lord. All three of them illustrate really how they work out their salvation, not by their own power, because they couldn't do that, but by the power of God that's at work in them. All three of them illustrate really this non-grumbling, non-complaining, non-disputing attitude. And in that sense, they're all kind of illustrating the same thing. And they kind of come one after the other as you read through this. And today, I want to look at, at Paul. And as we look at Paul, we're going to see that really he was a, a person who was really humble before the Lord, but he was also a person who loved to rejoice in the Lord and in the things of the Lord. And so you look at, at, at verse 16. And you see that, that Paul serves the Lord truly. You can kind of see where his heart is. Because in verse 16 at the end there, he says, Holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice. There's that word again. It comes up again and again in the book of Philippians. In the day of Christ, the day of reward, the believers go before Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And so Paul kind of ministers... You might say ways. First of all, he ministers out of love. 2 Corinthians 5 says, the love of Christ constrains me. That's what Paul said. He ministers because he loves Christ. He ministers because he loves God's people and God's word and he wants to do the right thing. But he also ministers out of fear. And you might find this interesting. And that's really what he's saying there in verse 16. He's saying, you know what? I want to wake up one day before the Lord and say, boy, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Nothing. Zippo, nada. Nothing counts. It's all in vain. He has that fear that maybe what he's doing could be done in a way that wouldn't be honoring to Christ. He had a healthy fear of the Lord and a healthy fear of, of, of serving the Lord. Because, you know, sometimes we think that ministry and service and all this, it's a game. This is not a game. This is very, very serious stuff. You know, we don't come here and just play church on Sunday. I pray we don't. Because if that's all we're doing, 
I think it is in vain. If we're not out ministering in our community, touching people's lives who have yet to know Christ, to hear the message of the gospel, if we have yet to make a list of those lost ones, those unsaved people in our family and in our neighborhood, and, and praying for them, and diligently asking God, how do you want me to reach out to them? What do you want me to do? You know, th this is not a, a shell game we're playing. This is very serious. People are dying every day. And, and, you know, you don't just go to the grave. There's a place called hell. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't want my loved ones to go there. It's not a nice place. And so we, we need to kind of wake up, I think, sometimes as a church and realize, why are we here? Are we here just to have fun and games? That's not the purpose. You know, we showed a movie a couple weeks ago, the, the what's it called, the Left Behind thing. Reach, outreach movie. We had an okay crowd. But to be honest with you, I was a little troubled. Because I thought, you know what? I think our people think this is like something they can come and eat popcorn and be entertained. And that's not the purpose of it. It was to bring the loss so they could see some truth of the gospel. That was the purpose. It wasn't for your entertainment. God forbid we would do that. I, you know, we couldn't entertain you as good as the world entertained you. I wouldn't even try. That's not what it's about. What it's about is, is reaching out to the lost and, and, and trying to communicate to them in, in the biblical way the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're about here. You know, that's why when we were showing those videos on Wednesday nights, about how to share your faith. Once again, trouble me. Nobody came. I'm like, either you people have it all down, and you know how to do it, so right that you don't need some help in that area. I don't know about you, but I always need encouragement, how to share my faith, how to reach out to those. It's hard to do that. You know, it's, it's hard to go down to a coffee shop every day where all of a sudden now you have a relationship with guys. And then, you know, I, w I went on a ride with, with a, a police friend the other day and went over to Half Moon Bay. The whole time I'm praying, okay, how am I going to share Christ? How am I going to do this? How am I going to bridge this, you know, this, this chasm between us? And the whole time I'm praying, okay, God, don't, you know, don't let me turn him off. I, I want to be courteous. I want to be all that. But I want to share the gospel with him. You know what? There's a lot of fear in my heart. So I'm thinking, what if I come off too strong and then, you, you know, he doesn't want to talk to me at the coffee place or even, you know, all this stuff. And you, you begin to feel this rejection from people when you haven't even done anything yet. You've been there, you know. See, that's a negative kind of fear. And, and I think sometimes we need to get back to the, the real kind of fear that, you know what, I don't want to wake up one day, stand before Christ and him saying, okay, you know what, you did a lot of stuff, Converse, but you didn't do anything I was telling you to do. And so, you know what? It's all burned up. Yeah, you still go to heaven. Yeah, it's going to be a wonderful place. But you know what? You wasted a lot of time. You wasted a lot of effort. You wasted a lot of sweat on things that I never called you to do. See, and that's where I think we as people in Christ need to go before God and say, what is it that you want me to do? And do it in a, a humble way. But do it in a, in a way that really exposes your heart and, and, and you want God to use you in a way that only He can. Because that's really what, what Paul is trying to get across here. He, he ministered out of love, but he also ministered out of fear. He said another way in 1 Corinthians 3, where he says that he has a fear in a sense that even though he is built on the foundation that God laid, he says this, namely Christ, that someday his building could be wood, hay, and stubble and be burned up. In 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says, I'm afraid that in preaching to others, I myself could be disqualified morally. We all need that kind of a fear. Not just elders and pastors. We all need that kind of a fear. That there could be a, a, something that we would do in our own life that could disqualify us from serving Him in the way that we do. Even though God's gifted us in that way. And he's called us to do that. We could step into the picture and say, you know what? No, this sin looks good. I'm going to go do this. I'll never get caught. I'll, I'll get away with it. No, you won't. You can't fool God. God sees everything. 
And so while Paul served God in a positive way out of love, he also, there was kind of a negative side to that service that really compelled him and really made him passionate about it. There was a, there was a passion about Paul's ministry. And I think sometimes we've lost that. We've lost that passion for ministry. It's more like, you know, oh, gee, okay, he wants us to do this now. Or, okay, we got this meeting to go to, or we do that. Where's the passion? Where's the fervor for the Lord? We should desire to get together as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. I think it was David who said last week, that's not just talking about in the church. That's talking house to house they did. And, and I, I thank God that we have a church where some of that goes on. Where you guys, you know, get together on your own and, you, you know, you minister to one another in fellowship around meals. That's what it's all about. It doesn't just have to happen here. I don't have any corner on the truth. Okay, I try to do diligent study and bring to you what God is, is in His Word. But I'm not sharing anything new. It's all written right here. And Paul was very, very passionate. And I think Timothy had that same passion within him. Uh, he was a man who was consumed not with his own interest, but he, he wanted to do what Christ wanted him to do. You know, I was up there with the, the grandkids this week, and my wife wasn't with me. She was back here, but driving around. You know, and I really like it up there. I like it there. I like it up there because the kids are there. That's why I like it there. And you know, you, you get this little voice in your head. Well, you know, what if? God were to move, you know, yeah, maybe you could be closer. And I'm thinking, what are you thinking? You know, that's not where God wants you. That's not what God wants you to be doing. It's not about your grandkids. It's not about your daughter. It's not about your son-in-law. It's not about being close to the ones you love. That has nothing to do with what God called me to do. See, and that's, that's the important, I guess, perspective that we have to have. That there's not a lot of security in serving Christ for any of us. God could put it on your heart. You know what? You wake up tomorrow and say, hey, you know what? God wants me to go minister to the homeless people down in San Francisco. So I'm going to find a church down there. And God could truly be calling you to do that. Or God could call you to a foreign country. Or God could call you out of the area. And so many times we put our security in things that really don't matter. And we need to be reminded that our passions need to be in, in the right place. But these men, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul, were not uh, you know, apathetic men. They, they had zeal. They were men who were driven by their love for Christ. And they were also driven by their fear of failure. That same individual, F.B. Meyer, wrote this. He says, It is certain... That before any service that we do for God or man is likely to be of lasting and permanent benefit, it must be saturated with our heart's blood. Then he says this, That which costs us nothing will not benefit others. If there is no expenditure of tears and prayers, if, if that love of which the Apostle speaks in another place which costs is lacking... We may speak with the tongues of men and angels, may know all mysteries and all knowledge, may bestow all of the goods to feed the poor, but it will profit nothing. Let us rather, he goes on, seek to be poured forth as an offering than to do much without feeling the least travail of the soul. As the fertility of Egypt in any year is direct proportion, in direct proportion to the height of the waters of the Nile, so the amount of our real fruitfulness in the world is gauged by the expenditure of our spiritual force. And he goes on to say there, he says, it was because Moses was prepared to be blotted out from the book of God for his people that he carried them for 40 years through the desert and deposited them on the very borders of the promised land. It was because Jesus wept over Jerusalem that he was able to send a Pentecost to that guilty city. It was because Paul was prepared to be accursed for his brethren according to the flesh that he was able to turn so many from darkness to light and from the power of Satan onto God. And then he closes with this little quote. He says, No heart pains, no spiritual seed. You know, you hear today, no pain, no gain. That's his version of it, I, I take. <laughs> the people that make a difference, I believe, in our world today 
spiritually are people with a passion, people with a zeal for God. Don't grow cold in your faith. Don't grow complacent. And these three men that, that we're looking at here had passion. They had a passion to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, as the Word says. They also had a, a passion to work out their salvation, yet with humility. They had a passion to work out their salvation without complaint, no matter where they were or what they were doing, no matter what the circumstances were around them. Because spiritual servants of the Lord are called to exalt Him at any cost. Now we look at Paul. I'm just going to read this verse this morning, verse 17. Philippians 2.17, he says, Yes, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul gives himself, you might say, as an illustration. He says, I, I just talked about a pattern of spiritual service. Now I'm going to use myself as an illustration. Now today in our culture, if I did that, you'd probably be kind of egotistical, don't you think there, Steve? You know, using yourself as an illustration of, of spirituality and, and all that he's talking about here. Well, yes and no. If you're doing it with the right attitude, if you're doing it because you're filled with the Spirit, which he was because he's penning this by the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, he must have had the right attitude concerning himself. There must have been a humble spirit within Paul because the Holy Spirit knows Paul's, knows Paul's heart perfectly. And so when he was penning this, he literally encouraged Paul to use himself as an illustration. And I think that one of the reasons why he could say, be followers of Christ as I am a follower of Christ is because he was a humble man. There, was, there wasn't spiritual pride. He wasn't speaking, you know, look at me, I'm this, I'm that. That's not his attitude at all. He served the Lord very humbly. He gave up everything to serve the Lord. And in our culture today, we couldn't even conceive of saying that. You know, you need to follow Christ as I follow Christ. I mean, how does that even come across? Not very good. Who do you think you are, you're saying? Well, I'd say the same thing. But see, the reason is, is because we're not at the place Paul was. He was so in touch with his, his Savior that he didn't even think twice about saying something like that. God would be that we would all be in that place. And so he says here, verse 17 and 18, he says that I'm, I'm gladly offering my life. I'm gladly sacrificing my life. And you know what? I find great joy in doing so. And he gives this illustration. It's very vivid. It's the imagery of a sacrifice, which is very familiar to them back in, in, in those days. Today, you know, when's the last time you went out in the backyard and sacrificed a goat or a lamb or whatever? I mean, you know, we don't do that kind of stuff. Matter of fact, somebody was visiting our church one time and they said, well, what's your, what's your I don't know what service we had, some, some service. And they said, well, what happens there? I said, well, after they bring the goats out on the platform. And they're like, what? I said, I'm just kidding, you know. Kind of a sick sense of humor, you know. But, you know, we don't understand that, that aspect of, of, of sacrificial things that go on. And so Paul here is, is, is sharing something that's very vivid in their imagery. And he's talking about this, this you know, this altar and I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice. Very vivid imagery. Well, what's he talking about? What is a, what is a, a drink offering? He says, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Well, see, in the ancient world of sacrifice, when they used to do this a lot, um, and by the way, both the pagan and the Jewish nations would perform sacrifices. It wasn't just, you know, it, you could be a, a involved in a pagan religion and they would sacrifice things. Remember, they would even sacrifice their own babies to pagan gods. Well, what they would do is after the animal was on the altar, it had to be killed. And then after it was killed, it was usually burned up. And there was kind of a, the sacrifice was being offered on the altar. There, there was finally a, a, a kind of a final uh, a topper on the whole thing. And usually the priest would either take wine or water or, or, or different kinds of things, some kind of liquid, and he would pour it around the sacrifice. Usually it was some form of wine. And that 
that, that wine would usually vaporize immediately because the fire was burning, obviously, and it would burn into a, a steam into the air, and it kind of symbolized the rising of the sacrifice. You know, if you've ever been in a, a fancy restaurant, you know, I know I went to one one time, and uh, they brought something out to the, they were cooking something out at the table. I think Ken and Shirley and John and Mari were with us, and, and, and they cooked something at the table, and you know, all these flames and everything. It was kind of neat. You know, that's kind of the idea. It's like, wow, kind of a spectacular thing. And then the priest comes out and he pours this final topping on it, on the sacrifice that's already kind of burning up. And it's kind of the completion of the full sacrifice. That's the picture. And you can look that up in 2 Kings 6.13, I think. It talks about that. Jeremiah 7.18, Hosea 9.4. There's a bunch of different places. And so the offer came, and before the animal was killed or it was put on the altar, and it was burned. Everything was, was kind of taken care of at that point. There was this, this drink offering, and that's kind of what he's referring to here. And you see there that he says in verse 17, Yes, and if I am. Or some, might, some translations might say, but even if. Okay? Well, in the original language, it's a first-class conditional construction in the language. And that if is not really a, a good translation. Because if might mean it may not happen. You know, If I'm hungry after church, I might go eat something. Well, that's not a given. Maybe I won't be hungry. But if I say, since I'm hungry, I'm going to go eat something after church. Well, then you know, hey, that's a given. Well, you can really translate that word there, since, instead of if. And so, Paul is really saying, since I'm being poured out as an offering, and it's in the present tense. It's not something that is, is future. Some people look at that and go, oh yeah, he's referring to his future death. No, he's not. It's not in the future tense in the original language. He's saying right now as I'm writing this, I am being poured out. He's referring to whatever's going on right here and now. It's not a future. It's talking about what's happening right there and then in his life. And so, he saw then not his death as a sacrifice. He's not talking about putting himself on the altar. That can't be what he's referring to. But he's referring to his life as a sacrifice, in which death was kind of the culmination of it. As we serve the Lord, all of us are going to die one day. But how do we serve the Lord in the meantime? And that's why he says, I'm being poured out presently. He's talking about serving his life, a sacrifice, giving his life as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, he says. And you stop and you think, well, where's Paul? He's Christ. For the cause of Christ, he's a prisoner. He's changed to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. He's bound. He can't carry on the ministry probably he, he was able to do before. I mean, he had some freedoms, obviously, but... You know, he wasn't able to do whatever he wanted to do. He was a prisoner. And I think in the difficulty here of being chained to this Roman soldier, no privacy whatsoever, uh, he really sees himself as his life being poured out as an offering that's pleasing to God. Now you notice that it's, it's a willing sacrifice. This isn't something God's making him do. This is something God or Paul does with a willing heart, as any sacrifice should be. God calls us to sacrifice. He calls all of us to sacrifice. But He wants us to do it with a willing heart. He doesn't want us to do it with a begrudging heart, whining and complaining like we just read. I don't think really even Paul had any idea that he was... He, he, I don't think he even had a feeling that he was about to die, to be honest with you. Because you look at some of the texts in chapter 1, verse 27. He says even though he was in chains... And he wants to remain on in the flesh. It's more necessary. He's kind of going back and forth there. He says, no, I'm going to remain on. And then in chapter 24 of chapter 2, he says, I trust in the Lord that I myself will also come to you shortly. So Paul wasn't there, you know, writing this going, oh, I could die at any moment. No, he thought he was going to be around for a while. And so he wasn't talking about his physical death. He was talking about living his life as a sacrifice. And you follow that into verse 17 there where it says, since I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice. Remember, it's, it's a sacrifice kind of upon a sacrifice. And the sacred ministry of your faith, the service of your faith, he says, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. 
You notice that there's a, a greater sacrifice than the drink sacrifice. There's a greater sacrifice. See, the drink offering is Paul's sacrifice. That's what he's bringing. But he says there's a greater sacrifice. And it indicates here that the Philippians, the Philippian church was able to participate in that somehow. What he's saying is, you know what, I'm just pouring out my life, and that's just the topping. That's just a little topper on, on the sacrifice that you, as the Philippian church, has made. Paul isn't saying, look at my life, how I've lived in you know, living sacrifice before the Lord. He's not saying it in a prideful way at all. He's saying just the opposite. He's saying it in a very humble way. He's communicating to the Philippian church here that they have made more sacrifice than he has. And he's just a little sacrifice that goes on top. Now you notice that the, in the Philippian church they suffered greatly because of their faith. In verse uh, 28 of chapter 1, he says, I don't want uh, any of you to be alarmed by your opponents. So they had people coming against them all the time. And in verse 29, he goes on, he says, For it's been granted to you for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but what? To suffer for His name's sake. And so they have opponents. They're suffering for Christ. Verse 30, chapter 1 says, You're even experiencing the same kind of conflict which you saw in me. And now, uh, see in me now is, is basically what he's saying. You're going through what I'm going through. He's trying to identify with them. So they're in a, a hostile environment. They're in an ungodly environment. They're in a pagan culture. Sound familiar? <laughs> we live in that every day. If we're living out our faith, and it was bringing upon them persecution. And so Paul is saying to the Philippian church, you know what? You've made a tremendous sacrifice. My life is just this little sacrifice that kind of goes on top. It's what the priest kind of sprinkles on top after the sacrifice as it's burning up. It tells you a lot about his character. When you look at the, first, the theme of the first few verses of chapter 2, it's humility. That's what it is. And even in his service, Paul had a, a humble heart before the Lord. I mean, he just said, don't look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. You should serve the Lord with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourself. That's why he sees their sacrifice as a major sacrifice. See, our problem is we go around... And what do we do? We do just the opposite. We look at the sacrifice that we're making and we think, oh, it's the greatest sacrifice anybody's ever made. Then we begin to brag about it and we become arrogant and prideful. and That's not pleasing to the Lord. That's not good. I think sometimes that, I think if, if God is truly in your service to the Lord and, and you're doing what He wants you to do, you're not even going to know it. I mean, you may have a full plate. You may have two plates full of stuff on your schedule and everything else. But you know what? If you're doing it for the Lord with the right attitude, it doesn't, it doesn't, you, know, you don't walk around going, oh, I've got to do this now. You know, I think of some of the people in our own body. Serve the Lord tirelessly. Never hear a peep out of them. They have full-time jobs. They have stuff far beyond my schedule could ever even conceive of. And yet, when they're called on to serve the Lord, they do it willingly. They do it without even thinking. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, you've got to be careful. You'll get burned out. How many, how many have ever heard that? You know, I don't know about you, but ministry does not burn me out. It just doesn't. I, I don't know how to, how to communicate that other than... I know what God has called me to do and I want to do it with all my might and with all my strength and do it hopefully in a way that, that is pleasing to Him. I, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't even think of you know, burning out. Uh, it's not even a thought that enters my mind. Now, I think you have to take care of yourself. I think you have to be wise in the way you spend your time and priorities and all that stuff. Because I think you can do your body harm by, you know, you don't stay up all night. You don't, you know, there's so many pastors in ministry that, you know, they're, they're serving the Lord faithfully and they're at the church 24-7 and their family's falling apart at home. Well, that's not right. That's not, that's not what we're called to do. See, I mean, we have to make sure that we keep things in priority. But I think 
you know, we use that excuse sometimes too much. Oh, I've got to get away. I've got to, you know, I might burn out or whatever. You know, I never, I never understood that when I talked to pastors and they were just so stressed out over whatever. Um, I mean, to me, this is like, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. You know? I mean, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, there's a lot of responsibility that goes along with it before God. And, you know, you don't always do it the right way. And, and sometimes you have potential of hurting people's feelings and offending people or whatever. But, you know, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I really can't. And that's because God called me to, to do what I do. And you know what? He's called you to do what He's called you to do. And we should all do it with that same fervor, that same passion. Because we all need to work together. There's not a, you know, nobody has a corner on the truth. Nobody has, you know, oh, if they leave, everything will fall apart. No, that's not the way it works. God has knit and woven this body together in such a way that hopefully we support each other. You know, there are things, I mean, my wife and I sometimes when we, we talk to a couple, you know, marriage counseling or even just, you know, couple counseling, whatever. I mean, I always make sure that I tell them at the beginning, hey, you, you need to understand that this is not a perfect marriage by any means that you're looking at here. And we both kind of chuckle and Beak and I. And I, and I always tell them, and I say, you know, we're going to learn more from you than you'll ever learn from us. I'll tell you right now. And they, all, they always, I can see it in their mind. They're thinking, why are we talking to these people then, you know, because <laughs> it's kind of crazy. But, you know, that's, that's just the way it works. We all need each other. We all need to pull together. And that's what he says here. He says it's, it's a living service. It's a living sacrifice. Being, or, being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice that they had. And he says, service of your faith. We get the word liturgy from that word in the Greek. And the English word is liturgy, if you, if you take it right across. And it means basically a sacred service or a religious service, a priestly service. In 2 Corinthians 9.12, it's used of offerings when the priests uh, uh, offered up things. It's used of Epaphroditus in verse 25. He says of him that, that, that he would offer a spiritual, liturgical, you might say, sacred ministry or sacred service. So Paul looks at them and he sees them as priests. That's really what we all are. That's what we're called, right? Holy priests, a royal priest, 1 Peter chapter 2. And he sees the Philippians as priests who were offering up their lives as a sacrifice. And his, by comparison, is just this little thing on top. Because they're sacrificing so much more. They're so much more faithful. They're so much more sacrificial than he is. That's his attitude. And you know what? He rejoiced over that. He rejoiced over them because of their faithfulness to the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 18... He says that the money that you sent me, which was sacrificial, he says they didn't have as much as they sent. Incredible. In other words, they sent more than they sacrificed. They didn't have that much to spare in the beginning, but they, they gave it. They even sent Epaphroditus to him to minister and help him. So they were sacrificial people. Now, you can't just look at this by comparing the greater and the lesser sacrifice, because that's not really the point here, but it kind of draws out the illustration. Because there's also a sense that there's a unity. This is one sacrifice. They're making it, the church is making a sacrifice at Philippi, but Paul's also making a sacrifice on top of their sacrifice, but it all comes to God as one sacrifice. See, that's where the unity of the church comes in. There's a, there's a loyal sort of, kind of a, a brotherly act of this sacrifice. They're all in it together. He ties his heart with the Philippians. And he says, hey, I don't mind being part of your sacrifice. And hopefully you don't mind being part of mine. His whole life was a sacrifice, Paul. And you look at the attitude that he had in all this. He says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. And I am what? Glad. And I rejoice with you all. And he's rejoicing because he's being poured out. He's being spent for the Lord. He's saying, what, you know, I know you're rejoicing, but why are you rejoicing? Here's why I'm rejoicing. I'm being spent for the Lord. That's why I'm rejoicing. 
I'm being poured out as a sacrifice. See, it's not the joy in spite of, but it's the joy because of. See, in other words, Paul's not looking at his life and saying, man, I'm just, just giving everything to the Lord and, you know, in spite of all that sacrifice, still rejoicing. That's not his attitude. That's our attitude a lot of times. But that's not his attitude. He's saying, you know what? Look at my life. I've been able to give and just to, to, to sacrifice for the Lord. And because of that sacrifice, that's why I'm joyful. Makes a big difference. A big difference. It's the highest expression of Paul's life was to give himself as a sacrifice to our Lord. And it was the greatest source of joy. Do you ever sit back and you, you know, sometimes we'll have a missionary come and they'll show us slides and, you know, they're living out in the jungle somewhere and living in a tent and don't get to take showers and that's my big hang up there. I just, I don't know if I could deal with that. But, okay, all that stuff. And you go, how do they do it? How do they do it? I mean, it's one thing to go over there and you visit for two weeks and go, oh, this is nice. Oh, oh yeah, I was a missionary for two weeks in Africa. Big deal. I mean, we have missionaries in our church that have spent their whole life 40, 50 years serving the Lord in a place that I would never even dream of going on a vacation. But they're there every day. And I scratch my head and I go, why would they do that? How do they do that? The answer is in what we just read. Because that's what God has called them to do. And if God calls you to do something, it's a joy to do it. You know, when the kennels come, or even the Weningers, and they share, you know, some of their experiences. I mean, I could imagine being a medical doctor in the field, not having what you have over here, knowing that these people are coming to you with illnesses and sicknesses, that if you were in the United States, it'd probably be like a five-minute visit with the doctor. But because you're out in the middle of nowhere, that person could actually die from this ailment. How frustrating would that be? And yet they continue to do it. They continue to serve the Lord and they do it with joy. That's why Paul said, if I live, I live what? To the Lord. If I die, I die to the Lord. Either way, what? I'm the Lord's. It doesn't make any difference. I count my life not as dear to myself. I just want to finish what the Lord has given me to do. And that's the, the, the greatest joy that Paul wanted to communicate to them was, hey, you know what? Yeah, you're concerned about me being a prisoner or whatever. He said, don't be worried about that. I am, I am just having a ball here because I'm serving the Lord. I'm doing what God has called me to do. Back in chapter 1, verse 4, he has joy every time he thinks about these, these, these guys in Philippi. He has joy in his heart. He prays for them with joy in every prayer. Every time he thinks about them, he has joy. What how many people in ministry could say that? Every time I think about our people in our church, this joy fills my soul. <laughs> Why? Because we you know, it's trouble, there's problems, there's this, there's that. See, that's why we've got to make sure we keep our priorities straight. Keep them right. And that's why Paul says, hey, don't worry about me. I'm glad. And I rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. I pray that we could do that this morning. That we could have that kind of heart. Paul's heart. For ministry and for service. That we could truly come before God and say, you know what, God, I want to be, I want to be able to say like Paul, I'm being poured out every day as a drink offering on the sacrifice of others. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. And Lord, thank you for the example that Paul left us. And thank you for the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus as we'll look at those in the coming weeks. But but Father Paul was such an incredible servant. Had such a heart for your people in ministry. I pray that each and every one of us would just grab a hold of a little bit of that.
And even today, as we leave these four walls that we go out into this lost and dying world without Christ, Father, that somehow You would create a fire in our hearts, a passion, a zeal for You. They wouldn't be concerned about our circumstances. They wouldn't be concerned with those around us. wouldn't be concerned what other people think of us. But Lord, we would be more fearful of You and what You think of us. And Lord, that we could truly serve You with a humble heart. And Lord, that You would do just work incredible things in our lives and in the lives of others as our obedience to You. Father, we pray this morning as believers that You would help us not to lose that passion, that zeal. Help us to remember back when we first came into touch with Christ, when He saved us, and how we were just so excited about being forgiven and being able to share the message of the Gospel with those around us. And Lord, yeah, a lot of us had a lot of zeal and no wisdom. But Father, You have a way of tempering us. Lord, I just pray that as we leave this place today, that You would fill us with Your Spirit, that You'd give us that passion and zeal that You desire us to have. Help us to have the joy of the Lord in our lives so that people, when they look at us, what's wrong with you? Why are you so happy all the time? Why are you so joyful all the time? I see what's going on in your life. It's not all good things. How can you maintain that kind of joy? And you can tell them it's because of Christ. Because my sins are forgiven. One day I'll be with my Savior. If you're here this morning and you don't know that, if you were to die right now and stand before a holy God, and you don't know what He would say to you. You need to come before God and, and repent of your sin. It means to turn away from your sin. Change your attitude. Stop thinking it's all about you because it's not. It's all about Christ. It's all about what He's done for you. And reach out to the Savior and ask Him to reveal Himself to you in a way that, that only He can. And He'll give you that heart of repentance. He'll grant it to you. And, and you'll confess your sin to Him. And the Bible says that He will forgive you. It's a free gift. You don't have to do anything for it. But there's a cost. Tremendous cost. So, Father, we just thank You this morning that we were able to worship You together as the body of Christ. Pray that our time together was pleasing to You. And Lord, we ask now that You would just uh, dismiss us with a song and Your blessing. We just thank You and we praise You. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's